Thank you, brethren. No turning back. And the reason why we don't want to turn back is because in Him, that is in our Lord Jesus Christ, is life. And I hope this morning you know that you have that life. We're going to be looking in Galatians chapter 5, but before we go there, I just want to read a couple of verses in 1 John chapter 5. That's what I'm quoting here. In verse 11, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son and nowhere else. Okay, this is the testimony that God offers eternal life. But this life is in his son. He who has the son has that life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have that life. Pretty simple, isn't it? So right now, where you're seated, where you are right now, you know whether you have that life or not. Because it's dependent upon whether you have the Son, Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know. That you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Life is a beautiful thing. I had the opportunity some years ago to um, a young couple that I knew invited me to be with them while they were giving childbirth. And it was special because with my brother and sister and some of my relatives, when they had their children, I was away in job meetings and things and couldn't be there right away. But this opportunity, I got to be there because they were asking for prayer. And I got to hold baby Hannah. She was 30 minutes old. That's as close as I've gotten to being right out of the womb. 30 minutes old. That was such a privilege. What a bundle of life. Right? What a bundle of life. I remember I got to hold Nathaniel Bosworth. We were talking about the Mexico trip. I got a picture of that standing outside the van on the way to the airport that morning and, and holding Nathaniel in the picture and he was not too much older than that, a little bit older than that. Have you ever seen a beautiful sunset? Maybe you've been out hunting, James. You've seen a beautiful sunset on, on the, out in the glades. Or, or maybe you've seen a rainbow. Glories of God. That's, that's part of life. But, but all of that compared to a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now that is life. And God the Father says, in Him is life. Now, we're, we're kind of moving out of this morning the afterglow of our week in revival prayer. And so the message this morning and the message tonight, I'm, I'm looking into Galatians 5 and 6 because we're building off of, I believe, what some of the things the Lord was doing to us, in us, through us this past week. It was a special time. The Lord was working. Uh, we know that because of the, the prayers were biblically centered and Christ centered and because they were done in a heart of humility and love. And those are indicators that the Holy Spirit is moving amongst us. As we shall see. Because what we have been called to in the Christian life. Is the greatest adventure you could ever experience on earth. 
And that's what Paul has been leading up to in the book of Galatians. He's established the historicity of it in chapters 1 and 2, and then the theology of it in chapter 3 and 4, and going not just back to the, the Mosaic Law, which is what the false teachers that had come in were trying to take them back and put them under the law. He goes all the way back to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, preceding the law and the establishment of God's promise to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. To me, that's fantastic. That's fascinating that the Holy Spirit would lead the Apostle Paul's mind to do that. But then he gets in chapter 5 to really what he wants, I think, to communicate to the Galatian believers and therefore to us. Life. What does it look like? You don't have to be mysterious about it because he tells us so clearly here. And, and he summarizes it really in verse 16 in, in a very short, simple verse. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It almost seems too simple. Walk in the spirit. Now, he's already defined this is the Holy Spirit. But he's defined the spirit in a particular way in chapter four and verse six, because you are sons talking to believers. Now, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying Abba, father. So it's right to say that he's the spirit. In fact, Paul will use in Romans eight, he's the spirit of Jesus Christ. He's the spirit of Christ. He's the spirit of God's son. He's the Holy Spirit, all different names for the third person of the Trinity. But he's emphasizing, it's interesting, in verse 4 of chapter 4, God sent forth his son. And in verse 6, God sent forth the spirit of his son. There's an order, isn't there? He sent forth his son in the incarnation. And then after our Lord, as our brother reminded us earlier, after he ascended, ten days later, he sent forth the spirit of his son at Pentecost. Now, I appreciate that reminder, Gary. I wasn't aware that we were on Pentecost weekend. It surely ties in well with what the Lord is focusing our hearts on this morning. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ amongst us. Now, Paul uses this term walk frequently. We mentioned it this week in Ephesians several times. He uses it in Colossians. He uses it probably in almost every epistle. So it's a very important term. And one of the things when we come across important terms like that in the Bible, sometimes it's very insightful to look at how that word is first used in the Bible. We call it in hermeneutics the law of first use. Because like the word kingdom, the when that word first appears has tremendous significance in understanding what God means by that word. But the word walk, you know what time the first time in the Bible the word walk is used? Go all the way back, all the way back to Genesis chapter three, verse eight, the third chapter in the Bible. So it's right near the front. And how is it used? It's used of the relationship Adam and Eve had with God before the fall, which is recorded in the first seven verses. And remember what it said about them? They walk with God in the cool of the day. And if you're in South Florida, you're looking for the cool of the day. 
And it is nice in the cool of the day. It was a nice time in the cool of the day last night. Malcolm commented on it, right? The sun's setting and, and the breeze kind of picks up and it's a cool breeze. In other words, the Lord would meet with them in a comfortable time, in a comfortable place, and communicate with them. <laughs> now, he wasn't just interested in exercise. That isn't, you know, he wasn't just interested in aerobics. That's okay. You know, that, you know, walking, it can be good for that. But he, he means communion, doesn't he? They walk together in communion. We see it again a few chapters later in chapter 5 of Genesis, right? With regard to Enoch. Enoch, verse 22, he walked with God. What does it mean? It means that he had continuous daily Fellowship, communion with the, the Almighty, His Creator. And then in chapter 17, you might say, well, that was before the flood. After the flood, maybe that all changed. No, in chapter 17, verse 1, it's used with regard to Abraham. Walk before me and be blameless, the Lord said, right? Again, and then in Amos 3, 3, can two walk together unless they be agreed, right? We use this a lot for young people that are wanting to get married. Are they walking together? Are they going the same direction? Are they going at the same pace in that direction? Maybe going the same direction, but not the same pace, right? And that's going to be a strain in a relationship. You know, when we walk with God, do we agree with Him? Yes. That's, that's a challenge for us because if you read through the Word of God in a year, which I encourage you to do, all 66 books are his revelation to us, right? And he reveals himself. And there are some of them that we might find it hard to agree with him. I've talked to some genuine Christians and they say, well, you know, this is. But beloved, our minds are finite. His mind is infinite. He's always right. I didn't hear an amen on that. Amen. He's always good. He's always holy. And so we may not understand, but we still want to agree with him. I trust. Amen. Because he's our Lord. And we are disciples, followers. We were just singing that. And it's interesting in the ministry of the Holy Spirit here in Galatians chapter 5. Notice he says in verse 16, walk in the Spirit. And then in verse 18, follow along in your Bible and see it with your own eyes with me. Led by the Spirit. And then in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. And then verse 25, live in the Spirit. And then in chapter 6 and verse 8, sowing to the Spirit. You get the picture. The Holy Spirit is vital to our testimony and life with God. And to walk in the Spirit, verse 16 of chapter 5 then, is to be in agreement with the Lord, to commune with Him. And there's a component where He speaks to us, not through an audible voice necessarily, but through His Word. That's why we spend time in His Word. That's where He will communicate to our heart better than an audible voice. And then we communicate back to Him in prayer. 
And that's one of the dynamics of a quiet time with the Lord, for me anyway, is people ask me, well, you know, do you have a certain method, a certain set procedure? Well, I have certain things I set out to do in the morning with the Lord, but it's dynamic. It's fluid. It's not static, you know. And so sometimes I'll usually start in the word, but sometimes I just start in prayer or worship and it just flows out. And then I go to the Word, and then I'm not in the Word very long, and broom! <laughs> he puts something on your heart, and you stop, and you gotta, you want to pray. And then you may spend the rest of the hour and a half in prayer, and that's okay. That's part of the dynamic of it. But maybe you spend five minutes in prayer, and then you come back to the Word of God. See, that's an alive, living relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why he died on the cross to enable that. And he sent the Holy Spirit. He is in heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit, the spirit of his son, who is with us here on earth. He's given us his word here on earth. He's given us access to the father in prayer because he's there as our advocate. And we pray in his name, not as something we just add to the end of our prayer without thinking, because we know we can only approach God and is through him. But we do have access to the throne of grace through him. The Bible tells us. But then, Paul, you notice in verse 16, he brings up something else. The lust of the flesh. Well, the flesh is the title that Paul uses To describe the remnant of the old nature that is still in us in these bodies. As long as we're in these bodies, we have it. But we're not slaves to it anymore if we're born again. If you're not born again, you are a slave to it. See, But that's one of the beauties of being born again and knowing that. Is that I'm not a slave to the principle of sin anymore, which is the flesh. I'm not a slave to the principle of death anymore. Romans 8, 2. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has done what? Has set me free from the law of sin and death. I was under the law of sin and death. I inherited it from Adam and you and I did. All of us did when we were born physically into this world. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, another name for the Holy Spirit. So the flesh, the Bible tells us that old nature is in rebellion to God. It has strong passions and desires, but the passions and desires of the flesh are contrary to God. See? Now, before we were saved, we just lived by that. That was the rule. We just lived by that. That We didn't have to. It was instinctive. We didn't have to think about it. It was just how we thought. That's how we lived. And then a new dynamic comes in when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. We receive the Holy Spirit. And now suddenly we find out. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Have you been there? Friction. That's what he says in verse 17, right? Because the flesh desires to do things that the spirit doesn't want to do. And the spirit desires to do things in us the flesh don't want to do. That sounds like conflict. And it's inside of us. 
You know what? People talk about needing the devil to tempt us. We don't even need the devil. for one. We have enough evil just inside of us in our flesh. We don't need any help from the devil. The devil still tempts us and the world system is an obstacle. But we have enough evil. Am I making that up? What does Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 say? The heart of man is how bad? Desperate, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's like a bottomless pit. You can't even get to the bottom of the evil of it. It, The further you go, the more evil it is. We still have that old heart in us. But we don't have to be a slave to it anymore, praise God, because we have the power of God and the Holy Spirit. And we can, by the enablement, by our dependence on the Holy Spirit, we can oppose The lusts and passions of the flesh. Nobody else on earth can. I'm not being arrogant. I'm being what the Bible says. I'm being truthful to the Bible. No one else can because you have to trust in Christ and Him alone. This is the order that God has put in His universe. It's only by faith in Christ that we're born again and receive the Holy Spirit as soon as we're born again. So if you know somebody that you've been witnessing to, and they have a particular addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, porn addiction, anger addiction, uh, maybe a certain attitude of heart that just dominates them. Is there no hope for them? No, that's right, brother. There is hope. There's always hope for them. But where is that hope centered? In one person. Jesus Christ. Are you convinced of that? Because if you're not convinced of that, you won't share the gospel with them because you don't really think it's going to be the answer. But if you're convinced of that, you know that's the only answer for that person, even though they don't know it yet, maybe. It's the only answer. And we'll prayerfully ask God to work in their hearts. And we'll, as they let us, share the gospel with them. And that's part of why we're here on earth. It gives glory to God, see. And for God's mind and God's way of thinking, it's a very important task. It's a very important task. And I might go so far as to say any preaching, teaching or study of the word of God that doesn't make that clear Misses the mark of the intention of what Bible study is about, doesn't it? If any Bible study we do and any teaching of the Bible we do with others doesn't communicate the truth of the delivering power of Jesus Christ in a life and the transforming power for those after they're saved. We've missed the mark, haven't we? So Paul tells them. The flesh lusts against the spirit. Verse 17, the spirit against the flesh. And these are, what's the word? Contrary. So you don't do the things you wish. I didn't hear an amen on that one, but I'm pretty sure everybody could say amen to that. And I can too. Yeah. Contrary. The two are opposing one another. And so the key is, which one do we, by our will and decision, choose to yield to? 
Because both of them are an influence. The Holy Spirit wants to influence us toward good, right, justice, the right things, what God wants. And the flesh wants to influence us toward selfishness, away from God. And as we know from a study of people in the Bible and of the workings of the old nature, the flesh is always prone to extremes. It's always always unbalanced because it's sin and sin rules it and sin is leads to an unbalanced character and personality. So the flesh with dealing with areas of living for God, people that are trying to do it in their own self effort, always fall historically to one of two extremes, either licentiousness, which is libertinism, do whatever I want to because I'm under grace. That's one extreme. The other extreme is legalism, right? That I'm going to impose all kinds of rules beyond what the Bible says, and I'm going to impose them on others too. In fact, I'm going to impose impose my rules on others more than I impose them on myself. That's what legalism does, see? Because legalism always makes excuse for self. You know, well, you know, I've got weaknesses, but we don't allow for the weaknesses of others, see? That's the danger with legalism. And that's what apparently these false teachers were bringing in. More the legalistic side of self-effort. And Paul's addressing that. And that's where he starts in chapter 5. Stand fast in what? The liberty, the freedom for which Christ has set you free. And don't put yourself back under. Because we put ourselves back under yokes of bondage. Don't do that, he says to the Galatians and to us. Don't put yourself back under a yoke of bondage. Live in the Spirit. You've been set free from that bondage. Don't go and put yourself back. And that's what the heretics that were coming in and doing in... Galatia with their false gospel, which he puts in an anathema on in chapter one, a pretty strong term. He say, well, what if what if I try to live this Christian life just in my own effort? What if, you know, I don't commune with fellow Christians, I don't meet with them on a regular basis, Sunday, Wednesday, whenever they meet. I don't spend time in the word of God. I don't memorize scripture. I don't pray. I don't. What if I just try to do it? What, what will be the result? Well, he tells us right here. In verses 19, 20 and 21. And as I suggested during the week, I believe very strongly. And I've been telling Christians, the Lord put it on my heart back in January. So as I've been traveling around this year, telling Christians wherever I go. Spend time looking at that list on a regular basis. I, I, I talk to Christians that haven't read Galatians 5 in years. You know, at least that's what they've expressed to me when I put this idea. Not just 19, 20, and 21, then verse 22 and 23 also, the fruit of the Spirit. But Paul gives a contrasting list here that is so clear. It helps us because if we take time in our day and in our week, and I'm saying do this at least, I would start at least with once a month. For me, I'm doing it right now once a week. But maybe I'll move that out to once a month to look at and then look back to the last seven days. I look back to the last 30 days. What was I like? 
Was I more like the list in verses 19, 20, and 21, or the list in verse 22 and 23? You with me? Now, you begin the list in verse 19, and you say, well, that would never be true of us. We're Christians in the assembly. We're, never, we're, you know, we're not going to have a problem with adultery and fornication and lewdness and, and uncleanness. Those, those four right there, we can say that, you know... That, well, even that has changed in the culture and we're in. We're finding out that a lot of born again Christians are falling prey to those things. But Paul, it's interesting. He introduces those four and then he brings two more in. Those we might call moral weaknesses or sins. Right. And then the next two are religious idolatry and sorcery. And you say, well, now, you know, we still we none of us have idols in the back of our Backyard. Well, sometimes you see it. I was driving to the chapel back in Houston years ago, and there was a man standing in front of his statue in his backyard with his coffee cup, I guess, praying to his statue. But that's rare. Now, I probably wouldn't find that in any of your homes, but that's not the only form of idolatry, as we know. Covetousness, any form of covetousness is idolatry, according to Colossians, right? But then sorcery, and you say, well, sorcery, I mean, man, we, we, did, we dealt with that with the American Indians years ago. I mean, they smoked the peace pipe with peyote and, and hashish and marijuana and all that stuff, and we don't do any of that. Oh, no, <laughs> you're not talking to your young people then, because, because that's coming back. That's coming back. That whole idea of sorcery and witchcraft is coming back with a vengeance. And the influence it is. And so we do good to be alert to it. See, that's a work of the flesh. But having dealt with four and two, and then he moves the largest quantity of the list is the nine. If you follow the textus receptus, there are nine. If you follow the critical text, there are a few less. But there are nine characteristics. And those are the nine I think the Galatians particularly were struggling with. And... The false teachers were fostering. See? So you see what the technique that Paul has done as a Bible teacher? As a spirit-led pastor? He starts off with their old life. Those first four and then the two religious sins were probably characteristic of their old life when they were pagans. They were pagan Greeks. They were Gentiles. And they were past that. And then the last two at the list, drunkenness and revelries, you know, well, that was probably true of their old life, too, more. And a lot of their friends were maybe still doing that. But in between, there are nine characteristics. And, ooh, not only are they hit with an ouch with Galatians, they hit in our day, too, don't they? Notice the list. He says... Right at the beginning, hatred. It's interesting. He brackets it with hatred as the first one and murders as the last one. You don't have murders if you don't have the Texas Receptus, just so you know if you don't see it. But that is there in the Texas Receptus. And, and what, did, what did our Lord do in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about murder? He said, it's not just killing somebody that the law was forbidding you to do. The, the law wanted to deal with the, your attitude of heart that finally led to the action of murder. He wants to go back to the heart. And, and that started with a little bit of hatred. And that hatred grew. 
And then it grew more, see. And finally led to murder. That's how murder works, usually. And so he brackets them. But look at the list. Verse 20, after idolatry and sorcery, hatred, contentions. You sometimes hear about a contentious brother or sister, right? This is a work of the flesh now. This isn't what Holy Spirit living is about. This is what our old nature will seek to do. So when we see these things in increasing measure in our life, that tells us it's a big red flag that tells us what? We're not living in the spirit. We're working according to the flesh, which will profit us nothing. In fact, it will hurt us. It'll cause us to go into spiritual regression. Backwardness, if you will. Backsliding, if you use the term in the Old Testament. Jealousies. Ooh. Sometimes you hear a genuine child of God say, well, I'm jealous of brother so-and-so because he has a certain spiritual gift and I wanted that gift and I didn't get that gift. Or I'm jealous of sister so-and-so because she can really sing and she sings solos that glorify the Lord and I can't sing like that and I want that gift. See? That's jealousy. That's evil. That's a work of the flesh. Notice he says, outbursts of wrath. How many times do we hear, usually men struggle with this one, make excuse, yeah, well, you know, I have outbursts of wrath, but you don't know my background. We were talking about that the other day. You don't know my background. That's why my childhood, my dad was like that. And you know what we say to them? Yeah, but you're a new creation in Christ now. (laughs) You have the Holy Spirit. God's going to say, you have no excuse. I've given you my spirit. You're just not living in the spirit. You're choosing to live according to the flesh. And when you live according to the flesh, those old things are going to come out with a vengeance too. the more you grow in Christ, the closer you grow to Christ, the more the contrary the flesh is going to be. Let me tell you. Brother years ago called it a picture is like the Trojan horse. Testing your Greek mythology, not that you need to study Greek mythology. But remember, you know, they, they rolled that Trojan horse into the city of Troy and closed the gates. And now they just took the enemy because the enemy was hiding in the horse, according to the legend. And they took the enemy and they put the enemy inside the gate, inside and locked the gates. And now they got the enemy inside. And that's what the flesh is for us. It's locked inside and it's the enemy of God. And we need to increasingly see that it's the enemy. It's not your friend. It's not my friend. I remember thinking as a young Christian, I wasn't taught these things and thinking as a young Christian that, you know, well, you know, I've just been for years just thought of the flesh. My old nature as my friend, you know, that that kind of inner instinct that told me different things. React this way when this happens and react this way when that happens. And it's all wrong thinking, see. And that's why the Bible says your mind needs to be renewed. Daily. Because all our thinking is off. You know, it's, it's kilter. It's off kilter. Our thinking's off about ourselves. Our thinking's off about God. Our thinking's off about Jesus Christ. Our thinking's off about the Holy Spirit. Our thinking's off about the world. Our thinking's off about eternity. Right? 
And here is where we find out and get right thinking. The Bible. The Word of God. I've hidden God's Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Word tells us the truth. Remember the Lord Jesus told those Pharisees? You shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. free. See? You shall know the truth when you obey my Word and treasure my Word and hide my Word in your heart. See? If you love me, he says, keep my commandments. If you love the Lord Jesus, you're going you're gonna to want to keep. That word keep is tereo. It's, it's the idea of not just obey. It includes obedience. But it's also the idea of guarding. You want to guard his word and not allow it to be contaminated and with error. And you treasure it. So all three of those aspects to that word. Not just obedience, but guarding it and treasuring it. Do you treasure the word of God? If you're a born-again Christian this morning, you believe you're born again, and you don't treasure the Word of God, talk to one of us afterwards. We, need, we want to show you from the Word of God that, that the normal Christian life, if we can say so, is to treasure His Word. That's normal Christianity. To be opposed to the Word of God as a child of God is not a good thing. It's a very unsafe place to be, isn't it? Paul says with this list at the end of verse 21, he says, and, and I tell you, I told you before, and just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They may talk a lot of talk. They may be involved in all kinds of activity. Well, that's pretty strong, isn't it? That means when you get to the kingdom of God, they ain't going to be there. See, in other words, they're not born again. Those who practice, it's in the continuous present tense, So we, we, because we all will stumble in different aspects. You know, shoo, you're, you're going, shoo, me too. This is ongoing practice without a desire to repent. When, when the person is confronted about being preoccupied with anything in this list and wanting to just live for the things in this list and don't care, that's a person that is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, I told you that when I was with you, and I'm telling you again. It's a serious thing, right? So he says, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions. Wow. Our whole world is driven by this. Christian magazines, so-called. <laughs> selfish ambition, almost every page. And probably a lot of Internet articles, too. We have to be careful here. Some of us brethren are asked to give a little bio when we go to speak at a certain place. That is a huge temptation. I don't like it. It's a huge temptation to advertise self. And we don't want to do that. But I understand what the brethren are wanting to do. They want the Christians to have some sort of. So we have to be real careful how you word that. At least I feel that way for me. I had to do it twice earlier this year. Two different groups. And I worded it a little differently each time. But I went through the wording of it four or five times. And probably had to cross out a lot of things and change it, you know. Selfish ambition, it creeps up. Dissensions, heresies, envy, murders. Oh, you see why God isn't going to let them inherit the kingdom of God. It, couldn't, it wouldn't work. That wouldn't work with God, would it? Those kind of attitudes of heart. So I say then, again, 
it's helpful for us to look at that list from time to time on, on a probably more frequent basis than the kind of day we're living in and to see, is this me? Was this me last week? Was this me with brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so when I was speaking with them, you know? And confess it and forsake it. You know, the Lord's given us the avenue. <laughs> we don't have to stay under it. You confess it and forsake it and ask him for help the next time. You say, well, what if I have to ask him 70 times in one day? Then he's going to forgive you 70 times in one day. Amen. Amen. Aren't you love him? He's going to forgive you. Don't be afraid to go to him. That's what if he told Peter that way, he's that way more. But then the beautiful list, like a bouquet of beautiful flowers, the fruit of the spirit. The works of the flesh, those you don't need any help from God to do. In fact, God isn't doesn't have any part of that list, right? He doesn't associate in that realm. It's the works of the flesh. You energize that with your own energy and work. But the fruit of the spirit, see, that's showing dependence. That's dependent on the vine. You can't produce fruit without dependence. See, that's why Paul changes the word, I believe. The fruit of the spirit when you're walking hand in remember we, we, we read that in Psalm 73. I was going to read that. It's, it's so powerful. Verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. That's what a walk with God is. And he says, you will guide me with your counsel. That's your word. And then afterwards, receive me to glory. Whom am I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. That's what life in the spirit, that's what real living is about. To get to the place where I love my spouse, but I don't worship my spouse. I love my children, but I don't worship my children. Love my job, but I don't worship my job. Love my education, thankful for it, but I don't worship my education. Love my assembly, but I don't worship my assembly. It's only one person that gets my worship. That's Jesus Christ. He stays on that pedestal. You don't put anyone else on that pedestal. Sister told me recently, talking about the word makmad, the Hebrew word in, in the Song of Solomon, altogether lovely. And she pointed out, she said, every time in the Old Testament, when they put something else in the place that where he's supposed to be, it got destroyed. <laughs> including the temple. Including the city of Jerusalem. So you don't put anything else in that place where he belongs, beloved. That's serious. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Now, to me, in thinking about this, there may be, I'm saying maybe a correspondence because there's a ninefold fruit of the spirit and there's a ninefold description in the middle of that. And they do they do. They do dovetail. There does seem to be a correspondence between love and hatred, certainly. Love would be the opposite of the hatred, the first one on the list, right? And you work through them, and you can make a correspondence. Whether we can dogmatically say that, probably not. But it's something that's, that's worth observing. But look at love, joy. Let me just stop with that one. Do you live a regular basis, a life of joy? You know, we live in a world where there's so much turbulence and there's so much unrest and there's so many different. And, and, and we. We sometimes don't show much joy. I look out on faces of Christians and we talk about joy and I see gloom on their face. I'm thinking, whoa, where's the fruit of the spirit here? 
We, we meet together and we worship the Lord and nobody's smiling. But, but when we go to the Marlins game, we, we don't mind smiling. So where's the disconnect here, right? You see that trophy deer in the back of your truck. Well, you don't mind smiling then. But, you know, when we worship the Lord, we look, we go. And no wonder the unbeliever looks at that and says, yeah, I'll go, I'll go down to the bar. And at least they're smiling down there. And that's what they do. That's their community. And that's where they're received without criticism. See, Criticism, that was one of the things we saw on the list, right? Dissensions, critical spirit. That's another thing, beloved. I think we need to be careful. I know in this past week with the revival week, oftentimes we hear people denouncing the weakness of the church and the church isn't this and the church isn't that. And beloved, we need to be careful about that. The Lord instructed me this a couple of years ago. The church, don't forget, is the bride of Christ. Would you like it if somebody was insulting your bride right to your face? She's standing there and just insulting her right to your face. Would, would you just stand back and not do anything? If you love her. I mean, if you love her. You know, so you think Jesus Christ is happy with that? I think we have to be careful that we don't insult the church before Jesus Christ. It's his bride. He gave his life for her. he washes her with the water of the word. He nurtures her and treasures her. He loves her. Don't mess around with his bride. He's not going to let you do that for very long. He'll give you time to repent. So it's something we want to be careful about. We make sweeping statements. And I sometimes wonder if somebody says, well, yeah, there, there's none of this in the church. And I'm thinking, how many people have you interviewed? Have you interviewed the, the number of people just in this room? Have you talked to every one of them? Have you walked in their shoes for a few weeks? How can you make these sweeping general statements without knowing the people that we're talking? We're talking about believers. We're talking about the children of God. Love, joy, peace. Let me ask you. Last week. That's right. Thank you, brother. That's caring for one another, right? Last week, last seven days. I'm not going to even take it 14 days. Just the last seven days. I'm talking to myself. All this had to come to me first before it went to, to the believers. The last seven days. How much of the time, percentage-wise, would you say you lived in peace? The peace of God that passeth all understanding? How much of the time? 20%? Fifty percent? What should it be? A hundred percent. I like that, brother. He's, he's, he sets a high mark there. That's good. And that's where God would do it. As part of the fruit of the Spirit, if you're abiding in Christ, you can have the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah 8.10 The peace of God that passeth understanding. Especially, that's what the world is looking for like crazy. Amen. Amen. And then long suffering. That means long tempered. By the way, the fruit of the spirit means it's supernatural. Right. None of that list is natural. None of that comes to you. The natural list is 19 to 21. The fruit of the spirit is above supernatural. 
only comes by dependence on God and a walk with God on a regular basis. That's how you, but long suffering to, to drag out that temper like God does <laughs> when we offend somebody and not rush to judgment or lash back with a vengeful spirit. Long suffering. And that corresponds well with the one in the list previously. Kindness. Kindness is doing good things for others in, in a way that you don't expect anything back. We do a lot of good things for others, but we expect them to give it back sometime along the way, right? That isn't biblical kindness, though. Because God doesn't do that, does he? And then goodness, seeking the best welfare for someone else on a consistent basis. Isn't this a beautiful list? You say, oh, that's that's way beyond me, brother. There's no way. No, it's not. That's the whole point. This is the fruit of the spirit. If you know Jesus Christ, this is within your reach. If you want it. This is what the kingdom of God is going to be all about. And what the inheritors of the kingdom are to look like now, see. And then faithfulness. My version has gentleness for the one in between. Meekness is such a better word because meekness has such a wide range. It's talking about being teachable, humble, includes gentleness, includes humility, but being teachable. When was the last time you were with someone who wasn't teachable and just obnoxious, you know? We encounter that in our world all the time. Someone that, that is meek. The meek shall inherit the earth. The Lord says of himself, I am meek and lowly of heart. He says that of himself. How, how dare we say, no, meek is weak. I want to be, I'm going to assert myself. See, self-assertion is the opposite of meekness, faithfulness, loyalty. The eyes of the Lord Move to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to find someone whose heart is loyal, fully turned towards him. Second, Second Chronicles 16:9, And then, oh, yeah, well, the last one, self-control. We're talking about self here. And it needs to have a leash on it. I didn't hear any amens on that either. Amen. Mine does anyway. Self needs to have a leash on it. Temperance is a good word. The idea of self-control. Controlled by what? Controlling self with what? The Spirit of God. Letting God control the self. See? He will raise you up in due time, Peter says, right? Everyone who humbles himself before God, he will exalt you in due season. In his season, and his season is always the best. Right, Brother Pete? His season is always the best. But that means you've got to trust him. You've got to believe he's really good. You've got to believe he's got your good in mind all the time. And all those things the Bible says is true of God. It's whether we believe it or not. It's a life of faith, isn't it? None of us have seen him. But whom having not seen, we love and rejoice with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Well, we'll look at some of the practical ways that works out this evening. Sometimes call it spirit-controlled living. Spirit-influenced living. The life of Christ in the heart of man. 
living in the Holy Different words you can use. But it's special, beloved. I hope in my weakness and frailty, I've at least whetted your appetite for wanting that more. I want it more for me. I want it more for you. So let's conclude again with that chorus we sang earlier. He is Lord, right? He is Lord. He is Lord.